If you have a Bible, if I can encourage you to turn in it to the book of Proverbs, so to roughly halfway, and Proverbs 10 is where we'll start. Proverbs, you kind of bounce around, and we're going to bounce around in Proverbs today. But if you want to turn to Proverbs 10, if using the Bible in front of you, if you turn to page 534, that's where we'll start, and you can kind of flip pages as we go from there. You know, when we started this series on a biblical sense of money, the first Sunday in January, we looked at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, to kind of lay the foundation. And I, I realized in preparing for that message, and then thanks to the lovely weather we had the next week when, you know, everything got snowed in and then frozen in, I kind of had some extra time. You know, time of, hey, you can't do a whole lot. And so I thought a whole lot more about Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. They talked about having Jesus saying, get away from bad, greedy eyes to good, generous eyes. And I'll be honest, I never really thought about that in much length. And then we had that extra time and I thought about it. And then that really kind of raised the question of how do we go from bad, gener or bad greedy eyes to good, generous eyes? Because I have this thing for donuts. I want more of them. And it's really hard to share those donuts. So how can I go from being, have bad, generous eyes that are all about donuts to Good, generous eyes. Well, I want us to think about that question. And to think about that question, I want you to look up and watch the screens for a minute because Mark Stuck is going to share a little bit of how God has done some things to kind of help he and Lori kind of move in the direction of generosity. So watch the screens with me for just a couple of minutes. Well, hey, good morning, Central. Um, it's always interesting to talk about that journey, the journeys that we've been on. And one that we've been on, Lori and I together for now almost 50 years has been this journey of generosity. Uh, through the years, we've had many folks that have impacted our lives uh, in many, many ways. Um, from grandparents to older couples that nurtured us here at Central through the years, um, to just a journey of the two of us together. As I look back at my grandparents, I had a grandfather who ran a very large business that was across the United States, and I had another grandfather who was a machinist in Chicago. And I watched both of them as growing up, as they were generous in many ways to their communities, but also to God's work. Um, my my mother's folks, uh, when they retired, they went on this trip around the world, which I thought was rather interesting. Didn't surprise me they would do that. But what I didn't realize at the time was, it was to go see mission hospitals, schools, different things that they had helped build through their, their life um, of generosity. Um, occasionally in our house growing up, boxes of Bibles would come, which again is not weird for a pastor's house, but they would come from my grandfather who was the machinist and he saw a need that when my dad made visits to folks that had come to Central, uh, one of the questions was, do you have a Bible? And if they said no, well, one of Gerhard's provided Bibles would be, uh, would be given to them. And so whether it's Bibles or it's helping start mission clinics and, and stuff around the world, uh, I had that all sitting right in front of me. I would like to tell you that from the moment that Lori and I were married, you know, 10 plus percent of our income went to uh, 
central, um, but I'd be lying, it didn't. Um, and over those first few years, there was a couple of couples that really um, leaned into our lives. Um, I wouldn't say they probably did it purposefully, but we felt it that way. Uh, one was Jim and Ardeth Harris. Jim and Ardeth were at were Central for many, many years. Um, Jim was a, an educator in Sergeant Bluff, and Ardeth was the secretary of the School of Nursing at St. Joe. And she's the one that invited Lori to Central. And that started our romance 52 years ago. But Jim and Ardeth gave time. They gave time, and they gave their talents, and they gave their treasure. And they invested in our lives, and we were able to watch them, what they did with their time, spending it with us, their talents, which were, hey, we've made mistakes, but here's how you can avoid those. And they showed us how they used their treasure. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Another couple that was in our lives, and, and again, just, just a couple. He was a postman, and she was a nurse. Uh, she taught nursing um, for quite a long time, but I watched them as they retired go on these mission trips, and Stan was great at kind of helping fix it, and the quiet guy, and she was the one who went and jibber-jabbered around with folks and was the, uh, the social person there. But I realized they didn't have a lot of money, but they decided that their focus was in retirement. This is what we're going to do, and it's more important than leaving a financial legacy, and they were kind of pretty obvious about that. So as I look around my world and my life here all these years, you know, there have been those folks that have impacted us. And it's been a journey. And I would encourage you all to really consider where are you on that journey? Because we're all on that journey of generosity. Some of us may be way over here and really haven't started it much, but that's still a decision and that's still part of the journey. And others and are, are here where it is an integral part of who we are. And so I would just pray that God would minister to your hearts and would show you um, where you are and maybe where you could be. Bless you. Now, I've had the advantage. I was a part of seeing that shot and then I've watched it a few times. And if I was to summarize what Mark said, kind of even condense what he said in a brief minute, it would be simply this. If you want to move in the direction of good eyes, you want to move in the direction of generous eyes, wisdom needs to be imparted to you. You need somebody experienced kind of impart wisdom to you, and then you need to embrace it. I mean, Mark had a lot of exposure from his grandparents, but it didn't sound like it took very quickly. Sorry, Mark. Kind of got to throw you under the bus there, but you know, it took a lot. We need to not just have it imparted, but we need to Embrace it. Now, when we talk about wisdom, I need you to understand, biblically, the idea of wisdom means you're skilled at living. So it means, in essence, somebody's going to come and tell you, hey, this would be a better way to live, and then you need to embrace it, and you need to start doing it. Now, if we're going to move in the direction of good, generous eyes, God needs to give us wisdom, which that's what the Word of God is about, and then us embracing it. It's really what I want us to do today, to move in that direction of good and generous eyes, to kind of move on that journey, wherever part we are, but to move along that, is I want us to look at the book of Proverbs, and we're going to do this this week and next week, 
Each week, we're going to look at four different sort of life-shaping principles, sort of wisdom God wants to impart to us that if we would embrace, would begin to impact and shape our lives in the direction of generosity. So really, we're going to talk about some things that hopefully impact how you and I think about money in a way that really does align us with good and generous eyes and not with bad, greedy eyes. So what are those? Four principles today for next week. Principle number one today, we need to impart and embrace. Hard work brings reward. Now, there's a whole lot of things the Proverbs is going to talk about in terms of wisdom, but I think Solomon kind of says, hey, here's one of the things that needs to shape us in terms of this gen or this journey, and it really is hard work leads to reward. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4 says this, a slack hand causes poverty but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, Solomon's setting up a contrast. The, the slack person and the diligent person. In the bigger sense of Proverbs, in the bigger part of the book, that's probably like the way of the fool and the way of the wise. Really, the, the slack person is someone who's going to put through minimal effort. They're trying not to do very much. Well, the diligent person, they're, they're really going to have persistent effort. They're going to show up and they're going to work. You know, about 27 years ago, Carrie and I were serving a church on the north side of Seattle, and, and I met a couple of guys who worked in the construction industry. At that time, the construction industry around Seattle was booming. There was no shortage of work, which made me kind of intrigued because when I met these two guys, they had two very different experiences. The first guy, he was barely making it. And not only was he barely making it, he actually had what, when he shared with me how much money he owed the IRS, I was like, that's more than my mortgage balance. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a problem. The other guy, he was doing incredibly well. And he was like, had so much work. He literally said, I had to turn down work because he just like, everyone wanted him to work. So he had lots of work. Well, I was trying to figure out how do we help the guy that's struggling? And so I asked the guy that was doing well, like, what advice would you give me? Like, how do I help the guy that's struggling? And the irony is, the guy who was doing well, his advice sounded like a paraphrase of Proverbs 10.4. He said, well, I, I show up and I go to work every day. He said, I know what the other guy's not doing because I've been on some job sites with him. He doesn't show up sometimes when it's rainy and cold. And if you've ever been north of Seattle at certain times of the year, it's rainy and cold. But not only would he not show up some days when it was rainy and cold, he also wouldn't show up when it was sunny and warm. That didn't really work very well for him. In fact, if you and I kind of play games with God, if God says, hey, I'm going to reward hard work, when we don't do that, there's impacts. Look at the verse just preceding it, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Now, verse 3 is affirming the Lord will provide for his people. And verse 4 is telling us the way God does it, the primary means the way God will provide for us is through the gift of diligence and perseverance. Now, I think that principle doesn't just apply to work, it does apply to work, but you think of other things in our financial lives, I think it applies to 
saving and investing. If you are diligent in savings and investing, you will see the reward of compound interest and growth. You'll benefit if you are putting those things in because that sort of seems to be how God works. Now, I don't know if it's silly, but I'm going to guess a lot of us, a lot of days would be like, I'd love if I only had to work five hours a week and I made $500,000 a year. Anybody sign up for that gig? Okay. Now, I am not saying that never happens, but that's incredibly rare. That probably is not going to happen in your life. So if you're banking on it, you're in big trouble. We need to realize, hey, I need to work hard. If we're going to move in the direction of good, generous eyes, we're going to move in the direction of generosity and having the right relationship with money. We need to understand what God's normal way of providing for us is us working hard, us putting forth effort. Which means if we're going to apply this principle, we're going to embrace this principle in our lives, we need to ask ourselves, am I putting forth full effort at work? Maybe a question to ask you at the beginning of a workday and at the end of the workday is, am I going to put forth full effort? And at the end of the workday, did I put forth full effort? Maybe a related question to that is, does my effort at work display gratitude to God for providing me with this job? And maybe connected, since we also said it applies to saving, is am I being diligent in my savings? Or am I saying, well, I'll save someday. How am I doing there? If I'm going to move to generosity, I need to realize hard work is how God rewards. Principle number two that I think leads us again down the journey is this. Having more is a positive and a negative. Okay, having more, Proverbs is going to show having more is a positive and a negative. Now, we are talking about money in church, and if you're here for the first time, this is not the only thing we talk about. In fact, this is the thing I probably least like to talk about. The only thing I probably least like to talk about in church is sex. So now that I've used the word sex, you're all relieved when we can talk about money again. Okay, he's going to talk about money, not sex. Great! So, but here's the thing. We need to understand having more money is not the solution you and I need in our lives. What you and I need more than anything else is God. The ultimate solution in our lives is God, which is why we needed Jesus to come. We needed Jesus to go to the cross, to die on the cross in our place for our sins and to rise again. We need Jesus more than anything else. We need to be clear on that. He is always a positive. What God brings into our lives through Jesus is always for our good. And it's for his glory. It's always a positive. Now, we mentioned last week, hey, money's a part of life. Well, it is a part of life. But here's the thing. Unlike God, who always brings positives into our lives, money can bring both positives and negatives. I should have told you to flip to Proverbs 13. So in my Bible, it's just over a page. So Proverbs 13, 8 says this. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. 
Now, Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is setting up a scenario to help us sort of see the limitations or the restricted value or benefit of money. And to do it, what he does is he really sets up a scenario of a kidnapping. The idea is really simple. The wealthy person has the ability to pay the ransom request. They can do that. And so you maybe could say, hey, that's a positive to having money. If you ever have family member gets kidnapped, you can get them released. Well, that's true. And we do need to acknowledge that there are problems that money can solve. Not every problem. So there are some positive things. There are some things money can do. That's true. But notice the second part of the verse 8. The kidnapping is not an issue for the poor. They don't get those ransom requests. Why? Well, <laughs> they don't have any money. You see, here's the thing. For the rich person, yes, the money provided the solution, but money also provided the problem. That's why they got kidnapped. I am not endorsing kidnapping. I am not, it's not what this is meant to be about. It's just meant to be a principle of, hey, there's positives to money, but there's also negatives. One of our weaknesses, maybe, is when we think about money, we only think about part of the equation. We, we think money is great, but we need to be reminded money is not everything. And as Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that there are two masters competing for our souls. And really, the wise thing for us to do would be to submit to the master who can truly meet our needs without bringing negatives into our lives. If you trust money, is it going to solve some problems? Yeah, I don't deny that. But as many problems that it solves, it creates. The true master doesn't create problems. He solves them. We need to know that. Now, some of you, Maybe you don't have much. And for you, applying this principle, applying this verse might mean to say, to say, God, can you give me the eyes to discern that though money is put in front of me as a solution, give me the eyes to see that for as many solutions, it also creates problems. So in my soul, instead of me longing for money, let me long for you. Let me long for the solutions you bring rather than a solution money brings. Some of you are on the phase of life or situation of life where you have more. And maybe applying this principle means you need to ask God for the wisdom to know how to operate so that you can minimize the negatives. That might mean being somewhat strategic, thinking strategically about how do I grow my generosity at a rate much faster than I grow my lifestyle? Please, I am not saying if you have a lot that you can never do anything fun. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you make a higher income that you need to give 99% of it away. I am not saying that. But what I am saying, what I believe this principle is saying is, hey, I need to look at the fact that having a lot brings negatives as well as positives. 
And if I'm going to grow in the direction of generosity, I need to realize it's not about what I accumulate. It truly is about God. Maybe a question we need to ask is this. Am I using the blessing God brought in my life in a way that accents the positive? Or am I doing it in a way that accents the negative? Principle number three. Third thing that we, God wants to impart to us that we need to embrace is this. Be motivated by God's love. You know, a key question for all of us around money, I think, is this. What is motivating the money part of my life? What's driving that? What's leading me in certain directions? Flip over a few more pages to Proverbs chapter 23. Verses 4 and 5 say this. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Now, one of the challenges to understanding Proverbs is sometimes it can, different verses can sound like they're contradicting each other. Okay? Verse 4 is not anti-work. Okay? Principle one is still true. Hard work is rewarded. He's not throwing that out. Oh, I'm later in the book. Let's forget that. Let's move on. No, he's not saying that. Verse four is really written from the perspective of toiling or working independent of God. As if I'm thinking, you know what? I don't care about generosity. I just care about me. I'm going to do this and not give God a thought. In a lot of ways, what the first part of verse four is communicating is what the first part of Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 27 was communicating when it says this. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Okay? So verse 4 of Proverbs 23, it's somebody who's like, hey, I'm doing this to fuel, I'm fueling, I'm motivated by greed. I'm motivated by selfish ambition. I'm not trying to accumulate wealth so I can be generous with it. I'm trying to accumulate wealth so I can have it. There's a difference between those two. And we need to understand if I'm toiling from greed, there's very different things going on in my heart. Now, in the next book of the Bible, just over a few pages, Solomon's going to speak a little bit more about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, 11, and 12. He wrote this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats much, sorry, eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not help him sleep. Solomon is telling us if we are toiling and we're motivated by greed and selfish ambition. You know, in essence, the love of money is what's motivating us. Instead of the love of God, we're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to find sweet sleep. What we'll find, it's pointing, what he's painting a picture of is anxiety, a picture of discontent. 
Now, that might be why, when you go back to Proverbs 23, 4, why the second part of the verses say, be discerning, like maybe it's time to say, stop. Maybe we need to ask our souls, why am I wanting more? Why do I have to have more? We probably need to be asking ourselves, does my desire to have more, is that motivated or does it align in any way with God's values and God's desires? Now, I've known some folks who are well-to-do and they are at points in their life where they don't need to work anymore, but they're still working. And so I've asked some of them, like, why? And I remember one of them telling me very clearly, I'm still working because I make giving commitments. I want to give. That's why I'm working. They were motivated to make more, yes, but notice not to accumulate. It's a gift. You know, Proverbs 23, 5, I think, is trying to make it clear to us that you and I can put forth an enormous amount of effort to get more stuff, to have more, and it can simply fly away. Solomon is really offering another version of words Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. That stuff can rust. Don't invest here where moth can destroy, rust, and the thief can steal. Don't go there. That's what he's telling us. Now, here's the thing. We need to know that going from greed to generosity, there's an issue of giving in that. We'll talk about more about giving next the next two Sundays. But you know what? This journey from greed to generosity is also about the issue of what is the motive behind generating income. I mean, you could give money and everyone would say, wow, that's impressive. Look, they gave. Yeah, but all of that money, all of what they accumulated was for greed. It was for them. And they're only giving to, in essence, create an impression of, look at me, aren't I impressive? It's easy to give like that. Maybe if we're going to apply these verses, if we're going to develop good, generous eyes, we need to say, what is my motive behind my income, behind my work? So maybe you need to ask yourself, maybe I need to ask myself, what is the motivation that's driving me to work, that's driving me to accumulate? You know, the directives of the great commandment, love God and love people, those aren't just given to us to govern our lives on Sunday mornings when we're all together. Those commandments of loving God and loving people are a key to us developing good, generous eyes. Principle number four. Another thing God wants to impart, we need to embrace if we're going to make this journey towards generosity, and that's this. Focus on God, not money. If you want to flip to Proverbs chapter 30 with me. See, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9, really are going to bring up the issue of what is our focus. Now, these verses aren't written by Solomon, the human author. The Holy Spirit's still a part of it, but it's Agur is the guy's name. And he wrote, and these verses actually that we're going to read are the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. And he wrote this prayer. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. 
Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, Agur makes two requests. First one simply is, I want to live in truth. He doesn't say any more about that. He just says that. Then he moves on. And the second request is, in essence, he's praying to be a part of the middle class. I mean, if you put it in our terminology, he's praying to be in the middle class. In essence, Agur is saying, God, meet my needs, but don't overmeet my needs. Now, he's not talking spiritually because God gives us all the riches in Christ Jesus. He's talking about financial. Don't overmeet my needs. And you say, why pray that? I mean, doesn't it sound better to have more? I mean, if I offered you today to increase your savings account tenfold, who would take me up on it? None of you? Okay. So we need to go back to Guru's first prayer request about being truthful. Okay. I mean, more sounds better to us, but he's not going there. Say, so why is he not going there? Well, you remember how the Lord's Prayer starts? I know. A year ago, we did a series. Last year at this time, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and it begins, Hallowed be your name. The Lord Jesus was teaching us to start praying with our focus on God and His glory. Like, that should be our focus. In this prayer, Agur is really living that out. He's praying that, you know what? He's looking at money saying, God, if I have a lot of it or I have a little of it, that could impact my soul. That could do things to me that aren't good, that could impact how I view you. See, the question of verse 9, who is the Lord, isn't someone saying, would you please tell me about the attributes of God? It's not what it's saying. It's really a declaration of scoffy haughtiness by someone who's saying, I forget God. I don't really want him in the equation. I don't know that all of you would have the book of Deuteronomy memorized, but really he's pointing us to some words that God said to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 to 14, where he had Moses write, look, be careful if you accumulate a whole lot and that causes you to forget the Lord your God. The Gura is saying, I don't want lots of money in my life so that that consumes me and I forget about God. Because remember, what you ultimately need is not a bank account that's 10 times larger today than it was yesterday. What you need is God. You know, Guru is honest. At the same time, he's also saying, you know what? God, I, I don't want to be so little that, that I have a temptation to steal, that that grows in me. Because in his mind, stealing was really a profaning or a rejecting of God. See, he looked at it and he said, if I start to steal, God, I'm going to be communicating things about you. I'm going to be communicating that God doesn't help or that living life according to God's rules doesn't work, that following God, it's not worth it because he's not on your side. God, please, I don't want to go there. I don't want to profane you. So he's saying, God, I want to look at you, not my money stuff. Help me get there. 
You know, a guru, I think, like us, realizes there's tension around money. And the tension of money really can, folks. Jesus told us this in Matthew 6. It can be a threat to our souls. And it really is a threat to our souls if our focus is on money and not on God. If where we're going and looking at everything is financially and not through the lens of faith, we're in trouble. So Agur asked God, would you meet my need so that it guards my heart and keeps me looking at you? Folks, if you and I are going to apply this principle, we're going to embrace it. I think it starts by asking the question, God, what am I focusing on? Am I focusing on money and my need? Or am I focusing on the God who can truly meet my need? Which one am I focusing on? Now, I could probably joke I like really long sermons, and this one should have eight points. But we covered four, and I said we'd do four, and then we'll do four next week. So we're kind of, this is like a timeout. Come back next week. But for today, if we're going to move toward good, generous eyes, what we need to embrace, God's imparting to us his wisdom, his truth. What we need to embrace from it is that hard work brings reward. That having more Yes, can be a positive. It also can be a negative. And because of that, I need to be motivated by God's love when it comes to money. And my focus needs to be on him and not on money. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and your goodness to us. Thank you that you opened us your word for our good. And it's our good across the spectrum of life. Lord, what we ultimately need is you. But you know that we operate in a world where we do need money things. Lord, would you use your word in our life to truly lead us to good, generous lives. Father, thank you for your kindness and goodness. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.